0: I hear the word of the Lord from Romans chapter 9, verses 1 to 5. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed, word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We have uh, been
1: uh, studying the power of God seen in the doctrine of justification, the power of Christ upon the cross to justify those that the Father has given him. We've seen the power of God in the Spirit who indwells within those ransomed by the Son and who will uh, lead them all the way to the end. If you Just ponder for a moment uh, the power of God affected in those great doctrines, uh, particularly in light of who we were in our forefather Adam, uh, but God has uh, overcome to enable us to overcome. And he does that by his sheer power and greatness. So it begs the question, uh, what about Israel? What about Israel? Uh, Many evangelicals, uh, perhaps some of you, uh, contend that uh, God will come again in a special way to uh, deal with the nation of Israel in a future time um, and uh, restore them great promises of restoration and glory. It's a very widely held position. Uh, But the answer in part to this question is in this uh, next section of our study the book of Romans. Namely, chapters 9 to 12. And answer to the question, what about Israel? Answered here in these these chapters. The entire uh, message, I believe, of uh, chapter 9 is that the promises of God are to a spiritual remnant. They were never issued to Israel at large, namely every Israelite. Uh, I think that Paul will document that uh, they were given to an Israel within an Israel, a spiritual remnant. But in our text this morning, Paul uh, issues a lamentation of their unbelief and rejection of their privilege. And so when you think about what about Israel, uh, the answer is, of course, uh, true for uh, all who Um, reject the provision of the living God. Uh, And certainly Israel rejected their privilege. Uh, It is, uh, again, raised in light of perhaps an overarching purpose of the book in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. uh, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's the power of God unto salvation To the Jew first, and then the Greek, or the Gentiles. Well, if it's to the Jew first, again, what about Israel? It's a very difficult question, but I believe Paul will answer that in our next three chapters. And uh, the answer, of course, is Israel has failed. It's not that the gospel has failed, but they have failed the gospel. And so uh, the first uh, part of her text is that Israel has failed spiritually. And her failure is expressed in the lamentation, Paul. A lament is simply a compressed form of incredible sorrow. Paul, as you know, was a Jew. He is profoundly saddened that his countrymen uh, have rejected his Savior. And he is in grief over their spiritual condition. Uh, He speaks in Christ. He also speaks in the Holy Spirit. The implication is they have neither. And absent Christ in the Spirit, men are lost. Not just uh, Jews that reject Christ, but all men who reject Christ are lost, profoundly lost. Hence uh, the nature of the lament. Uh, We sometimes lament, perhaps, over our children who are wandering. We're saddened over their spiritual condition. Uh, We gave it our best, and we continue to pray for them, but nevertheless, we are in our own state of lamentation. That's essentially what is captured here in the Apostle Paul. He goes on to express that he uh, wishes himself accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of his brethren. In other words, he's saying, if I could change places take me, God, to judgment and save them. Uh, You find this uh, on occasion in the scriptures. Uh, After the golden uh, calf exodus uh, event in Exodus uh, chapter 32, um, Moses says, uh, well, Lord, uh, blot me out. Save them and blot me out. Take me because of their idolatry, the golden calf. God says, of course, no, I'm going to blot them out. Uh, But nonetheless, there's the true sentiment of Moses, the true sentiment of the Apostle Paul. It is a reminder that there is accountability in this world, and there is responsibility. Uh, Men fail because they reject Christ. Uh, Paul uses uh, the phrase in verse 3, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Uh, And this is the problem uh, for the lost. Um, They're in the flesh. They need the power of the Spirit. They don't have the power of the Spirit. Uh, They're in the flesh. It's also the entire issue of religion. We can uh, grow up in Christian youth groups and camps and hear the word and partake of the sacraments, but the battle is always in the heart. That's where the battle is always fought. Uh, We live a life, of course, in the flesh, uh, but for us who know Jesus Christ, uh, our Savior has defeated the dominion of the flesh over us so that we can, by the grace of God and the power of the Spirit, walk according to the Spirit. Uh, But I do remind you, the battle is always in the heart. Inner man. And this is where men fail. In the heart. And so because of the unbelief, uh, Israel rejected her patrimony and privilege. Certainly uh, intensified in uh, verses 4, first part of verse 5. Um, uh, Paul says uh, they were the adopted sons of God. Uh, they saw the glory of the Lord. Think of Exodus chapter 40, completion of, of the tabernacle. The glory of the Lord comes down, localizes its presence in the tabernacle. The covenants, as you know, were made with him. God, uh, through Moses, gave them the law. The service of the tabernacle and temple was theirs. Again, where God localized his presence with the nation. Great promises of God were theirs. Uh, The patriarchs, uh, where God begins. And of course, the greatest of all, Messiah, came from them. But they fell away. They rejected it all. They could care less about their patrimony. They were in the flesh. Uh, They wanted the flesh, and that's what they got. Uh, this is, by the way, uh, not just true of Israel. It's, uh, in a measure, true in uh, uh, the larger uh, church of church of God. Uh, just because someone belongs to a church, physically partaken of baptism, perhaps done something physical like walking an aisle, That's never the issue. The issue is the heart. Uh, Great expression of this in uh, Matthew chapter 25. Parable of the ten bridesmaids. Uh, They all had lamps, didn't they? They all gave physical testimony that they belonged to Jesus Christ. But when the bridegroom comes, there are five of them who uh, were caught without oil. They go to buy oil. Uh, The bridegroom comes and uh, the celebration uh, begins and they're shut out. These are chilling words. Think of Matthew chapter 25, verse 12. He answered them as they knocked upon the door and sought entrance. What does he say to them? Truly, I do not know you. So, in some measure or form, they played Christ lost. They had the physical appearance of confessional faith. But as I've suggested, it's always a matter of the heart. Uh, Another great uh, testimony to this end is early uh, disciple of the Apostle Paul by named Demas. 2 Timothy chapter 4, he deserts Paul. And uh, Paul says, Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me. Demas started well. It's never about starting. It's about ending well, about the heart. Uh, But in an overarching sense, it is worthwhile for us to understand that while Israel failed, and while many or perhaps some in the visible church will fail, God does not fail. He cannot fail because he's God. And that is the great point of the latter part of verse 5. Of Christ, according to the flesh, was over all, God blessed forever, amen. Characteristic of biblical laments is at some point in these great laments, the author turns to the good news. The good news is that God acts that salvation doesn't end with the failure of mankind. It begins and ends with the greatness of God. And Paul closes with this good news, that Christ, or the anointed one, is the answer uh, to the failure of Israel and to the failure of all men. He came according to the flesh, referencing his humanity, albeit unsullied by original sin in any spiritual failure whatsoever. He came in deity, and Paul is clear. He is God. Notice again the text: who is over all. God bless forever. Amen. The dominion has been given to the Son. Daniel chapter 7, verse 14. All dominion and authority and power. The Great Commission. Go to all the world because all power and authority has been given to me, reliance upon Daniel chapter 7, verse 14. Specifying the majesty of the eternal Son. He's above all and overall. It is a reminder that certainly to the confessional church or people who have a way of hanging around the church that denying his deity is uh, one of the failures of contemporary Christianity. And failure here is terminal. You reject the one who is overall. You are outside of salvation. So that ultimately, failure is recovered by the success of Messiah and those upon whom he acts for. And so God has not failed in the provision of Christ the Messiah, who is true Israel. We think about the, the failure of Israel, but the Old Testament... Rejection of the prophets, rejection uh, of uh, the law, uh, all the way back to uh, the golden calf incident in book of Exodus. Uh, God doesn't fail when uh, the nation fails uh, because he has Christ the Messiah, who is the true Israel. And he's identified as such. In that sense, God is beginning again and the majestic Son of God, who is true Israel. And here, the Son does not fail. He will succeed. Turn with me, if you would, I'm sure familiar text to you, but I just want to cement this reality. The servant song, Isaiah chapter 49. It's important to recognize a measure of the identity of Christ. Yes, He's the Son of God. But he's also Israel. Uh, extrapolating from that all who are in him, who are identified as the true Israel. Isaiah 49.3, And he said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will show my glory. So while the physical Israel has failed, this Israel will succeed. The answer to the failure of physical Israel in the flesh is Messiah, true Israel. And he accomplishes, as you know, uh, the will of God. Uh, Isaiah 53, verse 11, another servant song. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. And by his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many. And he will bear their iniquities. That's the end of the lamentation. The success of King Messiah to Israel. It's a great text. He will justify the many. He will bear our iniquities. A great reminder of this in... uh, Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, Uh, first part of the chapter, Daniel is uh, praying. Uh, And uh, the answer to the prayer of Daniel is Messiah, Jesus. Second part of verse 27, he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. In the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrificing and grain offering. The entire sacrificial system of Israel collapses upon King Messiah. He puts an end to it because it all pointed to him, and he is now the appointed sacrifice. And all who are in him are forgiven. He has borne our iniquity, taken it away, as far as the east is from the west. great reminder of the success of the Messiah. And furthermore, the privileges that physical Israel walked away from apply to him. Uh, In contrast to an adopted son, we know from John chapter 1, he was the only begotten son of God. He was the glory of God. Israel saw it in a measure. A tabernacle. He is that glory. He was the promise of the Abrahamic covenant. He was uh, the greater lawgiver. John chapter one, verse 17. Law came through Moses, but grace and truth uh, through Jesus Christ. Good to remember uh, what the Apostle Paul says of of Christ in Galatians chapter 3. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed, singular. And then Paul goes on to say that is Christ. That all of the Abrahamic promises come through Christ. And that Christ is the sole portal for true Israel in both Testaments. G.K. Beale, a uh, great biblical scholar, contemporary generation, says, and all of the restoration promises have their beginning fulfillment in Christ. But he is the continuity of both Testaments, holding them together. The one points to Him, uh, the other speaks of His majesty and His greatness, His supremacy, indeed, that He is overall. So Christ as the true Israel has not failed. Physical Israel failed. We would expect that. All who are in the flesh will fail. And all who are identified uh, with Christ as Israel will not fail either because he's going to raise up a spiritual Israel for all who are in him, whom he represents. If you think about all the privileges that were given to physical Israel, who were given to true Israel in Christ, they apply to true Israel in the church. Uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 1 and verse 5. He predestined us as adoptions. Pardon, Pardon me. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. Israel was physically adopted. We are truly adopted in Christ. Based, of course, upon what he did for us. Galatians chapter 4, verse 5. In order that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Uh, Because of the work of our great majestic Savior, We are adopted as the sons of God. Used to belong to physical Israel in the Old Testament. It truly reaches its terminal point in our adoption through the work of the only begotten Son of God on our behalf. And when we identify with him, we are heirs of glory. He is glory. We are heirs of glory. I love the text, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. For it was fitting for Him, namely Christ, for whom are all things, and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory. He will take us to glory. They saw it in the Old Testament, in the flesh. Christ is true glory. He will take us to glory. He made us partakers all the covenants. Ephesians chapter 2. Paul says, verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Old Testament Gentiles were shut out. Uh, If you came to God in the Old Testament, you came through the portal of Israel. No longer. We've been brought near. By the blood of Christ. And identified with Him, we are the temple and dwelt by the Holy Spirit. Turn with me, if you would, it's a text I know you're familiar with, but uh, just one Uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 6 and verse 16. Paul is speaking about the temple of God with idols. Now notice what he says. For we are the temple of the living God. In the Old Testament, God manifested his presence in Tabernacle, Temple of Solomon. Now, he moves into our hearts and indwells. We are the temple. Greg Beale says, the text does not say we're like a temple. It's not an analogous use of the Old Testament. We are the temple. Uh, by the way, the application there is profound. Uh, we are very careful about what we join our lives to, do we not? Because the Spirit of God, God Himself indwells within us. We learned that in the previous chapter uh, Romans chapter 8. The indwelling spirit who will lead us and guide us and take us to the end, the end of everlasting glory. So everything that was promised of physical Israel it truly falls to us. It's the true Israel because we are identified with uh, the son of glory. Who is Israel? And our spirit, our our service speaks uh, thusly. Turn with me, if you would, to First Peter, uh, chapter two, uh, in verse verse five. But you also, as living stones, another reference to the temple, are being built up as a spiritual house. For a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I mean, think of think of the measure of the majesty that Israel had in the Old Testament, the tabernacle, God with them. But He was sequestered; His glory was sequestered. Was He not by? By the curtain. Same thing in uh, Solomon's temple. The majesty glory of God sequestered in the Holy of Holies. Now, because of Christ, He takes up residence in our lives. Israel missed the understanding. They forsook that privilege. Now it belongs to us. The promises are ours. And we are the true sons of, of the patriarch. Uh, here again, uh, the words of the Apostle Paul, Galatians chapter 3, verse 7. Those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. The majesty of what Christ has done for us. By faith, we are the heirs of the Abrahamic covenant and promise. We're the true sons of Abraham by faith. By faith. The issue of the heart. Right. It's a reminder that the true people of God are not just a visible community, but more importantly, a spiritual one. To remind you uh, of the importance of, of this reality. Paul is hinted at this in Romans chapter 2, verse 29. But he is a Jew as one uh, uh, inwardly, inwardly, matter of the heart. And circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. And just praise is not from men, but from God. Galatians chapter 6, Paul refers to the church. Is Israel, Verse 16, And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Some contend that Paul is using that moniker to apply to the Jews in the church. If the Apostle Paul makes a single solitary ethnic reference in the book of Galatians like that one, he's destroyed his entire argument. Because the entire point is there is no longer Jew or Gentile. It's are you in Christ, and in Christ you are a true son of God. And so we are the heirs of the great institutions of the Old Testament. We're the son of Abraham. We're heirs of glory. The great covenants fall to us. We belong to them, and they belong to us, and the promises break upon us. Another illustration of this in Philippians chapter 3, Paul says, we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Uh, True circumcision is simply another moniker for true spiritual Israel. That's what we are. Because Christ has cut away our flesh. And therefore, we put no confidence in. Our confidence is in Jesus Christ, King Messiah, the glory of the Lord, who is over all and above all, the blessed God from all eternity, from beginning to end, and world without end. It's a reminder of a great shift to this true Israel. Where God will manifest His presence and His glory. And the church will take that message to the uttermost parts of the earth. And it will not fail. All of the elect of God will be gathered. So that we now, as the church, take central stage. That there's a shift from the nation, the physical nation, to the church. And Christ is our head. And he will not fail his church. And he will take his church to the end. And he will present his church without spot or blame by his divine power. I I, I say this because if you have a low view of Christ, you're going to have a low view of the church. If you have a high view of Christ, you're going to have a high view of the church because we are his body and he is the head and he sends us forth to conquer and to gather his sons and his daughters from the four corners of the earth. And he will gather them all and we will be as instruments, as living stones. Uh, it's a great application here. Uh, a number of years ago, we had a gentleman... Uh, who came and spoke at the Warfield Lecture Series about the name of Jean uh, he said something that uh, shook me. Was, uh, the effect of it was that uh, if the church looks like the world, it's never going to attract anybody. The world will just stay where it is. The point is, given who we are, we're to look like Christ. I think Veith went on to say that in Europe, the churches are big but empty. And then tragically, he said, in America, many churches are full, but the people are empty. Uh, Again, we should not be. Because of the identity of our Savior, uh, who is overall and above all, blessed forever, world without end. Uh, And therefore, we should have uh, not only a high view of our head, uh, but a high view of his body. And his body is the church that he will see victorious to the end. Uh, we have a beautiful occasion this morning to uh, reflect upon the great privileges that uh, come to us in uh, the sacrament of the Lord's table. Um, we oftentimes uh, refer to the sacrament as a communion service because we commune spiritually with our Savior. The background of the uh, Sacrament is the Passover meal which uh, signified uh, Israel's redemption from Egypt and Pharaoh. But now that has been eclipsed by the sacrament of the Lord's table because he's our Passover lamb. It's also uh, worthwhile to remember that uh, this is if you will, a gospel to the senses. Uh, There is bread, there is wine. Uh, But we apprehend the reality of it by faith, that we fellowship with him who is the host of the table. Uh, By way of preparation, the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, reminds us to examine ourselves, that we properly discern the elements which represent the sacrifice of Christ, Uh, And that we come as a confessional people having confessed our sin and we're not living in known sin for which we refuse to repent. That would remind you if, if that applies to you, then you should simply pass the elements by. Because we come as God's people, as God's temple, to fellowship in an intense way, in a spiritual way, Uh, by the Spirit of God, with the Son of God. Uh, The surface uh, this morning is open to all who confess Christ, have been baptized, uh, and who are living according to their confession. Uh, In the Belgic Confession of Faith, Article 35, the authors write for the support of the spiritual and heavenly life which believers have. He has sent them a living bread which came down from heaven, namely Jesus Christ, who nourishes and sustains the spiritual life of the believers when He's eaten by them, that is, spiritually appropriated, and received by faith. As the bread is broken and served to you, I invite you to engage the Lord in silent prayer, thanksgiving for something that you need to confess before Him and acknowledge. Uh, it's an occasion to do that, uh, but at some point to break forth in celebration, we celebrate our communion with the Savior. Please hold the bread until which all are served so that we may manifest our unity and uh, partake together. Let's prepare our hearts for partaking uh, the bread and for seeing it as the divine provision of God in our Savior, the living bread who imparts to us life everlasting. Lord, we thank Thee for the bread of heaven, for our forgiveness, for the grace that will see us to the end. Bless us individually and corporally as we partake to signify that we belong to Thee, and by faith we have received Thee. Enhance our understanding of the great blessings that accrue to us because we are in the blessed Redeemer. And bless us because of our fellowship this morning with him, the host of the table. In his name we pray. Amen. Returning to the uh, Belgic Confession of Faith, Christ testifies to us that as certainly as we take and hold the sacrament in our hand and eat and drink it with our mouths by which our physical life is then nourished. So certainly we receive by faith as the hand and mouth of our soul, the body and the blood of Christ, our only Savior, in our souls for our spiritual life. the service is passed to you, I remind you that uh, wine is in the center. In the periphery there is grape juice that each may take in the freedom of their own tradition. Uh, As well, hold the cup until which time all are served, and then we will partake together. Uh, There is an occasion for you in this interim time to uh, celebrate, uh, the sacrament to give thanks to the Lord uh, that He shed His blood, uh, that we uh, might never have to drink the cup of judgment, but that we can drink the cup of the new covenant and all that that means. Uh, it is an occasion to be profoundly grateful and to have a heart full of thanksgiving. So let's uh, prepare our hearts for our partaking of the cup. Our Lord, we again are thankful. That because of Christ our Redeemer, death will pass us by. That we will never experience the second death. Because we are the sons of God. By the one truly begotten Son of God, Jesus Christ, our only Redeemer. As we uh, drink the cup, we celebrate. Uh, We celebrate new life. We celebrate all the blessings that accrue to us. Uh, We celebrate the profound blessing of the forgiveness of sin and guilt forever. And we're thankful that by thy grace thou hast made us thy sons, and the power that adheres to us because of the Son and the dispatch of the great Holy Spirit. Uh, Thank thee, Lord, for thy goodness to us. And may our hearts full of gratitude and thanksgiving uh, be seen. Uh, in the world in which we live. as a testimony to the greatness of our only Redeemer, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.